Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Thanks for being here with us in person, and hello to all of you at home, online. Still in your PJs at this hour in the morning? You didn't hear that we installed those two-way cameras, did you? No, thanks for being here with us. Uh, Please uh, bow your heads and join me for a brief prayer. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. This year for Advent, we always, uh, as we always do, we're rotating through pastors with uh, different messages. Pastor Dave, very generous with uh, giving us a chance to share. And um, this year, we're focusing on what we think are some very important ideas, especially with everything that's going on with the pandemic, often overlooked aspects of this time that should be very, very special. And our theme is spend less, give more, worship fully, love all. And we firmly believe that these are all ideas that will help us place more true value in celebrating the birth of Jesus. And my subject this week is one that most pastors cringe at giving. Uh, very often when I'm invited to guest teach at other churches, I will ask, have you, have, 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 have you done a, a message recently on this subject? And when I offer to do it, they're like, really? Yeah, go for it, please. Because uh, I was not only uh, told what I was to teach about, I was actually assigned a title to my message today, and it's called Give More. Now, I, I didn't quit or run away before you run away. I, I, I didn't even fake exposure to the virus. Believe it or not, I enjoy using God's Word to share what it teaches about giving because it has literally transformed my life. And I understand that this kind of a message makes a lot of you uncomfortable too, and I get it. I grew up in a church where the first topic of discussion every week when the pastor came up was the building fund, and there was a big display up on the wall, and at the top was our goal, and towards the bottom was how much we had raised so far, and uh, well, I was a little kid, and all I knew at the time that there was sure a lot of pointing and pounding. And our pastor would point up at that big sign and raise his voice and talk real fast and pound on the pulpit. And then he usually pounded and pointed some more. And even as a a, a young boy, this bothered me. And I uh, got into my early teens and I noticed, man, this guy's wearing a fancy, very expensive suit that probably costs more than my dad working outdoors at a hard labor job in the cold makes in a month. And, and, and it made me wonder. And that became an excuse for me to run away from the church. And honestly, uh, in retrospect, this pastor, he was wonderful. He did a lot of things that were very wise, very giving, very kind. I just didn't understand it. And it was easy to use that as a, as a reason to run away. And, you know, we've all seen pastors and preachers and Bible teachers who are constantly begging and pleading for money. A few even brag about their fleet of luxury cars and their private jets. And you make a big deal about how the Lord is blessing them through extravagant abundance. 
And we've also seen false teachers who try to trick us into what's called the prosperity gospel, that God wants all of us to be wealthy beyond belief, rolling in cash and riches. And, and then, of course, there are those who are even worse, downright crooked, stealing from the kind, generous souls who donate their hard-earned income to the church and then turn around and, and use it for their personal gain. But the truth is, the vast majority of churches are good and godly, run carefully and efficiently by a staff of pastors and elders and deacons who are committed to being good stewards, protectors of every dollar that is given to the church. And honestly, most churches barely get by. And every single year, hundreds, thousands of them die. Make no mistake, this pandemic, the shutdowns and the decline in attendance will have long-lasting, devastating, and in some cases, fatal effects on a huge number of churches in our nation. And I pray that NCC will rise above that. But you can relax. I'm not going to beg and plead or pound on the pulpit today. I saw a couple of you just kind of instinctively put your hand over protectively over your, over your wallet there. That's okay. You know, first thing is, we are blessed with a lot of generous people in our family at NCC. I am so impressed with the way that you step up for special causes and needs, and, and many of you are very faithful and extremely generous with your regular tithes and offerings and financial gifts. And that's the lifeblood of any church. So thank you, because there aren't a lot of churches where a pastor can stand up here and say that. Yes, we have felt the negative effects of the pandemic and giving is down somewhat, but we have done our best and we feel genuinely blessed. Our basic plan has been to adjust and trust. We've cut back in several areas and we've leaned on the Lord to guide and to provide. Now, the other thing is that some of you are so amazing at giving that I feel stupid being up here. You should be the one teaching today instead of me. But I honestly am excited to talk about this subject because I always learn something myself when I dig deeper into God's Word, and I pray that'll be the case for you too today. And who knows, maybe you'll walk out of here going, Lord, thanks, I feel like I'm giving just right. Jesus talked a lot about money. God brings up the subject often in scriptures, both Old and New Testament. I believe it's because God knows us so well, and he knows that money can be a blessing and a curse. Scripture does say the love of money is the root of evil, and we know it can cause us to cheat and steal and murder and worse. Yet it's not the money itself that's bad. It's the wrong relationship with the money that causes trouble. Wealth can be used in wonderful ways to further God's kingdom and to make life better and more beautiful for others. And there are literally dozens of passages in Scripture about dealing with money. There's no way I can cover more than a tiny fraction today. So I'm going to start with a chapter that has a whole lot to say on the subject, pretty much covers the whole thing, I think. But then we're going to branch out into a few other verses 
that will add to and support what this chapter says. So if you're following along in your Bibles, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, a lot of people refer to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as the love chapter. You remember it. A lot of you know it by heart. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. We use that at weddings a lot. And if that's the love chapter, then 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I think, should be known as the giving chapter. Paul is writing to the people in Corinth about the promise they had made to him to take up a big collection for Christians in Jerusalem. Let's start in the first chapter. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help, and I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I'm sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready as I've been telling them and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of time to make sure the gift you promised is ready. So Paul's just being human and honest, showing his humanity. I can trust you, right? You're, you're, you're going to have what, what you promised when we show up. I mean, you're the ones who got these Macedonians all fired up about giving with you in the first place. So please don't let me or them down. He's nervous, and he doesn't want to be embarrassed by a poor collection. But it's important for us to understand right away that Paul was, was not looking out for himself. The money was for Christians in Jerusalem who'd suffered great persecution and terrible loss, both physically and financially. A lot of them were literally starving. So Paul had rallied believers in other areas to help those in the family of Christ, the church at large, has developed a wonderful history of doing this over the past 2,000 years, and it still happens today, collecting some of the abundance from those who have plenty, more than they need, to share with those who are hurting, as we've been doing here in our fellowship with our brothers and sisters, the pastors on the Navajo Nation. Now, Paul's obviously concerned about whether or not the collection is going to be a success, but notice he does not pound on the pulpit, or point at the building fund sign. He writes, but I want it to be a willing gift, not given grudgingly. And this is so critically important. If you cannot give with a smile on your face and a song in your heart, then God does not want you and your money to part. Paul from here on begins to preach and to teach. His subject was the same that I've been assigned today, giving. But it's a little more detailed than that. Not just giving, but giving more. Verse 6, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. So in other words, the more you give, the more you will receive. Verse 7, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. 
then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. I do a little morning devotional called Morning Inspiration Mondays through Fridays, and it's usually posted on the NCC's Facebook page. And what I wrote about this earlier this week says, this entire chapter of Scripture is about learning to give in a way that pleases Jesus. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and He doesn't need our money, yet He deeply desires to show us the overwhelming joy that comes from learning to be generous to others. So Paul gives us three important guidelines that I'll call should-nots. We should not give grudgingly. If you can't stand to share a small portion of what you possess, you'll never experience the great joy of knowing that someone else benefits and has their life changed from what you donate. Next, don't give in response to pressure. God always provides for those he guides. Anyone making you feel guilty about the urgent need to give probably doesn't have quite the right relationship with the Lord. And we should also not be afraid to give more than we think we can afford or worry about giving away so much now that we won't have enough for ourselves in the future. This passage and many others give us God's guarantee to always replenish us with even more than we give to others. So take some special time to pray. Ask God to show you how much more you should give away. And remember, our giving doesn't count if we do it with the pout. Jesus wants us to be cheerful as we hand our riches out. It's impossible to outgive God, but it is a lot of fun and an amazing joy to try. Then Paul quotes Old Testament scripture out of Psalm 112.9. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Doesn't that sound like a beautiful way to be thought of? To be remembered in the future and I think it goes beyond what people might say at your your funeral or memorial service into eternity because other scriptures tell us that when we're giving to the poor we are building treasure in heaven verse 10 for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then the bread to eat and in the same way he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God as a result of your ministry. They will give glory to God. Are we getting all this? Isn't this just an amazing passage? And I challenge you to read this every day for the next 30 days and see what God does to your heart. 
For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Man, I love that. It's hit me so hard. I can't tell you how many times I've read this before over the years, but this week, it's really been working in me. I want to look at a couple of other scriptures that are helpful in guiding us how to give. And as we go through these, I'd ask you to pay attention to the rewards that God promises for generous giving. Deuteronomy 15, 10, Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. Proverbs eleven twenty four: Give freely and become wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. I've heard this one paraphrased as, all who give generously are given much more. Others don't give much at all and end up poor. Verse 25 goes on, the generous will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Proverbs 19, 17, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. That one cracks me up. I'm God's banker. Oh, yeah, right. And he pays me back always with interest. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Of course, that's speaking to the the rural economy that everybody was a part of back then, but applies to us perfectly today because God receives honor when we recognize him as the source of all we receive, all we have. And give back to him the first and best portion of what we bring in. In the old days, of course, that referred to the harvest, and it was often called the first fruits. Deuteronomy 26.9 refers to that. He brought us to this place and gave us this land flowing with milk and honey. And now, O Lord, I have brought you the first portion of the harvest you have given me from the ground. You know, when it comes to money most people even christians only give god their leftovers and those are few and far between Uh, national research shows most christians give somewhere between two and three percent of their income if we wait until after the bills are paid and after we've taken care of all the things we need to do and a few that we want to do there's nothing left at all for the lord I always say there's too much month left over at the end of the money, honey, right? And we fall into this dangerous trap of saying, we can't afford to give anything. And worse than that, we end up believing that. I was friends for many years with a couple that I really felt close to. And they came over to New Covenant shortly after I did. And they were here for for quite a few years until they sort of disappeared it sort of drifted away and I I followed up numerous times and I kept checking in because I I just felt something wasn't quite right and finally one of them told me well we're not coming anymore because we feel bad about not being able to contribute to the church financially so we've just decided to drop out and I had to applaud the honesty but I sure did not agree with the reasoning. First of all, there is no requirement at all that you have to give financially to be part of our family at New Covenant. 
One of the things I love about our culture here is that none of us know who gives what. We, we feel it's important to be biblical and to treat everybody the same, even though we know, we understand that some are blessed to be able to give a lot more than others. No matter what you give or don't, we will love you with all our hearts regardless. Now, back to this couple. I've been to their very nice newer home. I've, I've seen the cars they drive. I see their social media posts when they talk about their latest big purchases and their trips and their vacations. And so to say that we can't afford to give anything is not even close to telling yourself the truth. And I really feel sad for them because they're not only cheating God out of what is rightfully his, but they're selling themselves out, both from the financial rewards that Jesus promises to pour out from, on them and from the spiritual growth and biblical understanding and all the wonderful friendships that they walked away from here just because we can't afford to give anything. But the truth is not that they can't, but that they won't. God wants us to put him first in our lives, and that includes our finances. And we cannot be faithful and obedient followers of Jesus if we put more value on our possessions or our lifestyle than we do on our love of the Lord. When we don't give back some portion of what God freely gives to us, he is offended. And I go to Malachi 3.8. God is speaking, and he says, Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, What do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Now, that had to shock them. That is the only place in Scripture where God challenges man to test him. 32 years ago, 33 years ago, as a new believer, I stumbled across this verse on my own. The Lord is challenging me to test him. I was a baby Christian, and I really just had tiny faith and not much at all clear understanding of Scripture, and I sure didn't have very much money. I recently lost a couple of jobs, and I was working in a situation described as underemployed, making less than 50% of what I had been. I had no idea how I was going to take care of my little son and pay the bills, and here, God was telling me to test him by giving him some of my money. But I decided I'd try and just came up with a figure of 2%. And I don't want to take the time to go into the details today, but understand that first tiny step of faith was the beginning of a complete and total transformation of my financial and spiritual situation. And I know it wasn't because I was a great broadcaster. But before I knew it, somehow I got a different job. And that was paying the bills without any problems. And today, over 30 years later, I am blessed beyond explanation. 
except for what Scripture teaches us. And I firmly believe it's because I do my best to practice the money guidelines given to us in God's Word. Not that it's always been easy. I've made and continue to make stumbles and mistakes along the way, several purchases that were more a sign of my outsized ego than my surrender to Jesus slowed me down, but I'm, I'm learning and doing better. And one of the things that Rose and I have learned to do that I just dearly love is uh, to literally pray before we pay and put God first. We sit down with everything all organized ahead of time, and before we write a single check or do anything, we hold hands and we pray and we thank the Lord for the way that He has been so gracious and so abundant and always gives us more than we need. And then we pay God first. That's our version of giving Him the first fruits. We've determined a, a, an amount or a percentage of what we bring in to go to the Lord's kingdom. And we take care of all those promises and ministry responsibilities first, and then we pay our bills. And it's amazing and wonderful, and it's fun. And, and gone are the fights and the arguments and pulling out the hair and the, 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 the pain and anguish that so many couples go through that we did for many, many years until we were taught how to do this. So try him, test him, feel the joy he gives when he demonstrates, when we demonstrate, excuse me, that the Lord comes first by giving him the very first part of our income. He'll make sure that we have plenty he opens up his vast resources of special blessings and pour them out into our lives. And please don't misunderstand and think these blessings are all about money or attaining worldly wealth. Very often when I speak to kids at school, especially the little ones, they'll ask me, are you rich? Because I'm on TV, they think. <laughs> but I, I always smile and I say, I am wealthy beyond imagination. And then I say, but it has nothing to do with my bank account. And I just leave it at that and let them think about it. God pours out his riches in so many different ways through all of these promises that have nothing to do with our money and are much more valuable. Now, before I go any further, I want to go back to the title of my message today because it's important to point out it's not just give, it's give more. But Steve, I already give. Great, that's awesome. Give more. Give God more. But pastor, we give a lot. That is terrific because that means Jesus is giving you back even more than you gave, which means you're now able to give more than you did before. Last week, if you were here or watching online, you saw a video about the ministry work New Covenant's been doing all year long during the pandemic with the Navajo Nation and a, a group of pastors who are taking care of each other have gone through tremendous loss. I hope our friends in Window Rock are not listening this morning, today at least, because um, we're planning to bless them thanks to a generous soul who wrote a check for $10,000 after they saw the video last week. And the blessing that we're hoping to be able to do is to purchase a box truck that they can use to take supplies to and from the res. It's a big need uh, 
that they have and it's been a real expense for us to rent trucks and borrow trucks to get back and forth to the res. It's really, really amazing. But regardless of whether you are rich or poor, God's plan for your life is to teach and encourage you to give more. And speaking of poor, in Mark 12, we learn about the widow's offering. Starting in verse 41, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Ever notice we're not told this wonderful lady's name, but Jesus gave her fame and a gift of eternal honor, and I can't wait to meet her in heaven. What an inspiration she has been to every generation for over 2,000 years. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Dave, in one of his great messages, reminded us of the faithful giving of another poor widow. It was in 1 Kings 17, if you remember. And the prophet Elijah asked this lady for a piece of bread, and she said, well, I was just getting ready to build a fire for our last meal for my son and I on this earth. I've, I've got just a few drops of oil and just a few spots of flour, enough to make a couple of tiny pieces of bread. We're going to eat, and then we're going to go and die. And Elijah asked her to trust the Lord to make the food, and then talk about gall. He says, and feed me first, please, and trust God. And she did. He promised her there would be enough left over, and there was for many, many days to come. Well, gosh, Mr. Preacher, man, I wish we could afford to give money to the church, but we're poor. Okay. How much have you been giving? Nothing. Well, ask God for the faith to give just a little bit. Now, please don't misunderstand don't distort what I'm sharing about God's word. I'm not beating up the poor or financially challenged in our fellowship, in our family here at New Covenant. I am not saying to give the church the little bit of money that you have left. But I am encouraging them to trust in the Lord as much as those two widows did and to trust Jesus enough to give to God whatever it is he puts in your heart for you to give. We had the most beautiful thing happen here last week, the same day that that generous soul donated $10,000 unasked to the Navajo ministry. I found a little envelope with a handwritten note inside my box. And inside was a, a little message that says, James asked that this money go to families in need and ask for prayer for his family. And inside were two beat up old $1 bills and 78 cents in change. Made me curious. I asked around and found out that Kama, 
our children's ministry director, was approached by this man, James, said he was on his way to work, walking by our building, which probably means he didn't have a car, and that God had touched his heart to give his money to the needy in our church. And that touched my heart. And I'm going to keep this envelope, and it's $2.78 on my desk in my office as a reminder of his faithfulness and his obedience and his willingness to give. And I'm going to magnify and multiply that 278 that he gave so freely to the ministries that, that I love to give to here at New Covenant. And I trust that James will be blessed. I know in my heart James will be blessed beyond understanding in both this life and the next by our amazing God. Because as we've said many times, God will always give us back more than we can ever give to him. Jesus, in Luke 6, 38, said, Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. This is one for you bakers. Okay, you know how you, you, you take the sifter and you, you scoop into the flour and you, you set it down and it's all piled over the top. You pop, pop, pop on the counter and it all settles down. And there's room for more so that God can pour in an abundance and overflow. I wanted to do a video so that you could actually see that happening. But somehow my wife, Rose, who'd spent the whole day cleaning the kitchen yesterday, just didn't think that was a very good idea for me and just asked you to use your imagination. Now, notice that Jesus didn't tell us to give so that we will receive. That can't be our motivation. Our motivation to help others should be nothing more than a deep desire to be obedient and to become more like Jesus. Yet... God gives us sweet rewards so that we learn to be more generous. This scripture and many others promise we will get back much more than we receive. Shaken down, poured into your lap, running over the top. Now here's the coolest part of the way our Lord has designed this. The more we are given each day, the more we are expected to give away. And, and then the cycle of blessings continues to go round and round, and it gets bigger each time. We recognize that all we have comes from God anyway and determine to continuously give a generous portion of it away so the more we are given, the more we have to share with our church, ministries, and others. We all remember the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? And he fed them all with a small amount of fish and bread that was given to him by a young boy. We're pretty sure it was given to him. Hey, kid, what's in the bag? It's my lunch. We're pretty confident he gave it over willingly. But in the same way, God magnifies and multiplies our small gifts and donations. He always returns a larger amount than we have given. And some people who are really good and faithful with this principle are able to grow the amount they give away to as much as 50 to 90% of their income. I, I, I know a few that call it reverse tithing. They live on 10% and they live well. 
and they donate 90% because of the wealth and abundance that God has poured out on them. I'm not even close to that yet, but I sure would like to be, and I want to work towards it. True believers should always be willing to learn to live on less so we can become more like Jesus, constantly giving. Trust in the Lord to be true to his word. This is a perfect time to pray that God grants you the confidence to give more of what you have away. And finally, Romans 12, 6. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, always be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. I don't know how many times I've read the scripture, but until I was preparing this message, I never really recognized that the ability and the willingness to give is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It says, if your gift is giving, give generously. And it's listed right up there with the important things so, so many of us dream about and pray about, it, prophesying and teaching and serving. And who knew? It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Have we been praying for that? I tell you, it's something that the Lord wants each of us to pray for. And you know what Jesus said? Ask, and it shall be given. In God's eyes, for us to be truly living, we must be generously giving. And very often... Giving is motivated through the kindness in our hearts, looking at someone in need and realizing that there but for the grace of God go I. He or she could be me or my child or my grandchild. Verse 13 says, When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. And this is not out of pity or guilt, but out of love, knowing that whatever you give will be magnified and multiplied. Remember what Paul said back in chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians that we started with? A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a, a small crop, but he who plants generously will get an enormous crop. Whatever you give will grow. Giving is not a debt I owe. Giving is a seed I sow. And Jesus spoke of seeds in John 12, 24. He said, A single seed planted in the ground will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. So think of money you give to your church or your favorite Christian ministries dedicated to the work and the Word of God as seeds you are sowing and determined to plant as many as you possibly can so that your faith and our faith and their faith will keep growing. It will. And so will your love, both for God and for your fellow man. Now, back to the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13.3. 
Paul said, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So what he's saying is that we can give without loving, but we can't love without giving. In Acts, Paul said, and I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Isn't it sweet and fun as we head to Christmas to know the little ones, how excited they are about the gifts they're going to get, and to see as they get a little, with us today have been encouraged that they have heard your word and said Lord thank you I feel like I'm doing this right like I'm on the right path and I appreciate you reminding me Father God I, I also suspect that there are others who, who've been convicted who've said gosh I, I hadn't really thought about it this way Jesus and, and, and I have not been sharing in the way that reflects how much I care and how much I love you. And Lord, I have no doubt, having been one of those people in the past myself, that there are those listening who are angry, who are saying, well, there's another money-grubbing pastor just always asking for money. And Lord, I just pray that, that you would touch their heart too, that you would show them that this is not about us, but about you, that you don't need their money, but that you will use it in a way that will transform their lives and the lives of others in amazing ways. Father, we thank you for the gifts that we receive every week for the people that allow us to, to have the lights and, and, and the heat and the insurance and all that goes into maintaining a church, but Lord, for providing abundance so graciously that we can reach outside to the, the hungry families down the street at E.G. Ross Elementary, to the families in our fellowship that can't 
pay their utility bills or don't have gasoline or need some occasional help with the rent. Lord, to, to our brothers and sisters in the Navajo Nation who have lost so many lives and struggled so mightily during this pandemic, Lord, let us not be afraid of the future of not having enough. Lord, help us all to be more like you through the way that we give. We love you and we praise you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.